Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I am David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. And we're so glad y'all are here. This is Don't Miss This. Welcome. Um, First thing we're going to do is move out of the way so that you can see the board a little bit more clearly. Some of the fill in the blanks on the study guide sheet that we're going to try and um, remember to talk through. Every time we move, it's so that people can kind of take a screenshot so that they need to kind of zoom in on things. And again, we're going to try and tell you where each of the things are. We're coming off of Last week, we're still a part of King Benjamin's sermon to his people. So last week, we did Mosiah 1 through 3. And remember, there were no chapter markers in scripture or in sermons. So (laughs) it's okay that you want to stop and do a chapter a day. keeps the devil away kind of style of reading. But sometime it is a good study to read a Benedict sermon all the way through. King Benjamin's sermon all the way through. So there are things that you learn in the full sermon mm-hmm. or story that you can't learn as well by breaking it up. But obviously we have to do that because we can't be in Sunday school for 29 hours. So last week, King Benjamin was speaking to the people. What we want to remind you, though, that's really neat about this setting, and it makes this section of the speech particularly powerful, is this is a coronation ceremony. Um, if you need a good coronation ceremony to watch, go watch Frozen. Um, it's actually interesting in that in that coronation ceremony. I was kidding for a second, but they would hand on when a king became a new king. Um, they brought all the people together. Remember, Mosiah is now going to like hand over. Excuse me, Benjamin is handing the kingdom over to Mosiah. You always want to get so confused. Well, that's because it goes Mosiah, Benjamin, Mosiah. Like the, Benjamin is in a Mosiah sandwich. That is the problem. So Benjamin is, this is the crowning of king. No one's king. ever going to forget that. <laughs> <laughs> this story okay. is the meat of the sandwich, you know. Um, but this is where Mosiah is going to be crowned king. And he's going to be given the sacred relics, which they would do anciently in a coronation ceremony. Pass on the liahona, the sword. Pass on the the records, the plates and stuff like that. But what's neat in this um, in this coronation ceremony is it is Mosiah becoming king. And then he's going to teach everybody else how to become something more, how to become a royal man and a royal woman. So he talked to them in chapter three about Jesus who came and saved us all through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now he is going to teach everybody how to become royal, how to become kings and queens. So it's not just a coronation ceremony for him, for him, but he's teaching all of the people how to become royalty in the kingdom of God. That's what is happening in the address. Yeah. So it's super clever. It's really, really clever what is going on. And let me just give you this spoiler at the beginning. At the very end, they're all going to take upon them a name, which is what happens at coronation ceremonies. Kings and queens were given a royal name when they were crowned. And at the end of this sermon, the people are going to take upon themselves a new name, which is really, really cool. It's super clever writing. Whoever put the Book of Mormon together 
was a genius, right? Um, <laughs> I so, think it was God. Yeah, well, the real king. Okay. So this is great. <laughs> We're calling this the process of conversion, of becoming, moving, of God moving us from peasants into royalty and the change that he does in our hearts. Uh, even though we're going to give, we're calling it a process, we understand that these are principles of conversion, that God's work in us is mysterious and beautiful and messy, and, and we can't really put, you know, one, two, three, four, fives to it. So really, these are principles in us becoming royal people. I love the idea of becoming royal. And you want, royal. You want to see in that progression and increase that is something that is so foundational about our belief is that that ours is a process of progression and of increase and of moving forward through principles and we see patterns of that all through scripture um you'll see different ones all the time so it's something that we're drawn to but it doesn't necessarily mean this is it yeah, right right <laughs> this yeah. is just the one we see in these chapters yeah salvation from death and sin happened on the cross but that wasn't the full work of jesus as latter-day saint christians that's one of the beautiful truths of the restoration is not only to be rescued from sin and death but to become kings exalted. and queens yeah right it's, exalted it's exaltation and that is the elevating of souls that happens through grace. So there's the the salvation, the saving of souls, which is also comes through grace, but then there's the elevating of souls, um, which is a process of grace as well. Yeah. So welcome to this coronation ceremony, oh, becoming royal men so and women. Yeah. In fact, one of we my favorite yeah, well, you kind of are. Look at oh, this like Okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a king's Slowly. queen's okay. robe. I just um, needed a tiara. Yeah. Well, you don't because I'm about to tell you a cool story where oh, you don't need one. Okay. But you don't have gray hair, so it won't work for you. But one of our friends, Elaine I want Dalton. I gray hair who, so bad, just so you know. It's coming. Okay, I hope so, everyone. Just around the river bend. Um, one of our good, dear friends, Elaine Dalton, and her husband, I look at them and I, I see royalty mm, when I see so them. That's so true. I really do. Last night, I was texting with my nephew um, who came with me to a Time Out for Women event and Sister Dalton was Not there. Not last night, though. A long time ago. Right. Like, I was texting him last night about the event from a long, from last year. And he couldn't remember Sister Dalton's name. And what he texted to me, it was he said, What is that queen woman's name? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Elaine Dalton. That, isn't Elaine. that fun? But she told a story once um, in General Conference where about visiting the home of David O. McKay and his wife. And I love that she made this particular point of going and he had them introduce themselves. You should and say then... where the talk is from. Oh, yeah. We'll be so well, happy if you do. We'll put it in the newsletter okay. because I can't. It's called Remember Who You Are. That's the name of the talk. But it will be linked in the newsletter. And there's a little Mormon message about it, too. So we'll put that in there also. A little video okay. of this story I forgot about. Um and when he was done talking with all of them, he said to them, now let me introduce you to my queen. And Sister Dalton said she did not wear a crown and have all of these jewels, but her gray hair was like a crown and her, art and her eyes sparkled like mm. jewels. And she said, that is when I first became familiar with a concept that I call deep beauty. Mm. And that is what we are talking about. We have on the paper a chance for you to think about what I am right now, but what can I become? 
And, and that deep beauty, that royal way of living is what King Benjamin and King Mosiah, they're going to be teaching about. It starts off, remember, he tells that whole story in chapter 3 about Jesus coming to rescue them. And after and they hear that... you love how it's going to start because when you talk about Elaine and you talk about Sister McKay and... And there might be some of you who, like me, are like, is that ever going to happen oh, for me? Yeah. You know how that is? Where, like, I, I, you just, you look at your life, and it maybe looks really messy right now, and you just wonder, is that ever going to happen for me? And I love that that is where you're probably about to yeah, go. Yeah, it's is. exactly where, yeah, because yeah, that's how. That coming out of. You can't help it that when he preaches about the goodness of God, our king, and Jesus, his, his son, another king, that the people's reaction at the beginning of chapter four mm-hmm. is they fall down on the earth and they view themselves in their own carnal state less than the dust and they cry out for mercy and the atoning blood of Jesus to purify them. They realize like, I wanted to be that. You know, we came to this meeting, you know, yeah. all here and we just didn't. And once you hear about how good God is, it just causes that in you. And so we love is one of the, initial parts of conversion is actually need. Everything begins with need. And remembering where you are and acknowledging your weakness and realizing, I see where I want to be, but I I also will take time to figure out where I am and, and what is the process of getting there and realizing that acknowledging your weakness is actually going to be what propels you into this process. We love that quote. Are you going to share the oh, quote yeah, yeah, from yeah. Michelle Craig? This is one of our favorite quotes from Michelle Craig from conference where she said, divine discontent, or we would say like that feeling of need, right? Comes when we compare what we are to what we have the power to become. That principle is depression if you only are like where I am you know (laughs) and it might become pride if you only think about you know "Ah, what I could be but when you link them together all of a sudden it becomes progress yeah this beginning of this journey of Mm -hmm. being of being exalted remember we said last time that line it is not grit it is is grace but when somebody gets that spot of oh I wish I could be that like these people, they turn to the right solution. And it's so neat that instead of that weakness becoming depressing to them, it becomes empowering, right? right? That they see this is where I am and this is where I have the potential to go. And we're actually going to watch that happen on these pages. And I love that um, it's going to start right off the bat without, because sometimes we go to that place of weakness and then we start thinking, okay, well, what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to fix? And and how am I going to resolve this? And you love that the answer isn't actually you. It's Jesus. And I love that he leads with that. That yeah. he's like, okay, let me show you where you are. And then you have that fear of like, I, I'm never going to be what I want to be. And then he's like, let me introduce you to someone who can help. And it's Jesus. And I love... Um, when he says in verse, uh, we're in Mosiah 4, verse 5, and he says, For behold, it is the knowledge of the goodness of God at this time has awakened you to a sense of your nothingness and your worthless and fallen state. And I say unto you, if you have come to a And we should say, that's in comparison to what God is like. Like This isn't a commentary yes. on God thinking people are worthless that's or so anything. Good. It's a commentary on like, oh, in comparison... Man, I really am bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And then 
And sometimes it's not hard to remember our weakness. Like it's not hard for me. I every morning or several times during the day, I I am clear what my weakness is. But I love that in verse six, he says, you need to first of all have a knowledge of the goodness of God and his matchless power and his wisdom and his patience. I love all of those words describing him when I think of those moments when I'm like, I'm just not enough. And I love that he's like, don't worry, your father is really patient and he's wise. He knows what to do. He knows how to help you through this. And long suffering is such an powerful yep, word especially suffering. right before the atonement is mentioned mm-hmm. because or jesus's atonement is mentioned because he's just like he's not only going to wait with you but he will suffer through this you know with you it's just such a neat i love that his whole concept is yeah you've come to a knowledge of your weakness but don't set your heart on your weakness mm-hmm. set it on the goodness of god like and his son like sometimes right? when, we wanna, things. when we want to like help other people change, which we should probably do less of, you know, <laughs> but, but we are inclined to like, yes. let me help you change. We will point out their weaknesses. And it's interesting that the change came about because King Benjamin pointed out the goodness of God. That is what initiated mm, the that's change. That's so powerful. Um, and I think it's so interesting because what is going to happen in this part of the sermon is one of our favorite. There's two lines in here that are so good because he... He says, I'm, I'm going to show you how conversion happens. And then he says this, this is the man and this is the means by which it's going to happen. And those two things are so powerful because he introduces, this is the man who's going to receive um, this salvation. And then that's described, that that's in verse 7, but it's who is described in verse 6. Yes, yeah, 6 and 7. And that man is someone who has a knowledge of the goodness of God who knows how to apply the atonement or the grace of Jesus Christ in their life, who trusts the Lord, who is diligent in keeping the commandments, and who continues in the faith. This is the man. That is the man where this process of conversion can take place in. He describes exactly what that's going to look like. And then I love when it says, and this is the means. That's in verse 8. And the means is described in verse 7. It's the man who received salvation through the atonement, which was prepared from the foundation of the world for all mankind, whichever were, ever since the fall of Adam, or who are, or whoever shall be, even unto the end of the world. So this is the man. It's the man who knows the Father, who knows the Son, who understands the grace that comes through the atonement, who trusts and is diligent in in that process of conversion that's the man and the means comes through the atonement of Jesus Christ through grace um, that is the means yeah it's interesting that that word is so important in verse 7 the man this is the man who receives salvation mm. who all those the description is somebody who like opens the door to it like yeah. let it come in yeah that's the man and the means is so in the box we wrote the solution Jesus, the means, <laughs> Jesus again. Yeah. Right? And, well, Maybe. receiving Jesus, yeah, receiving really him. believing in Christ. That's the means. That's what's going to happen. And I love this right here because it's the man and the means. Um, all together, both of those things are required for the um, this conversion process to take place. The man by himself cannot do it. Um, 
we have to receive the means and allow um, and allow that to work in our life. It says somewhere in here, and I wish I could remember that verse, but it talks about allowing the atonement of Jesus Christ to work in us. And, and that's us. That's us receiving. That's us believing. Um, that's uh, allowing that elevating of souls to take place within us. And I love what that looks like. And it's such a central, like... Um doctrine of our of our belief system of like that we believe that god gives us the dignity of choosing that mm. you know he's like do you want me to um work in you yes um the answer is yes and he says then okay open the door to yeah. it and and this is what opens the door you remember we talked about this in second nephi 25 um, but you will see it all through scripture anytime you see grace or you read about the atonement of christ or you talk about salvation the words that you are going to see hooked to that every time is believe in Christ. It, they go hand in hand with each other. That there is something about believing in Christ that unlocks the power of grace to work in our life. And you love that that is exactly where he goes right. in this sermon. It's so neat. It's almost like someone who recognizes and sees like his students really well when he's giving this sermon. Because it's how he started believe in Christ, then like, he's like, okay, this is this. And then he comes back to it again. He's like, let me remind you, verse nine. So believe in God, trust in God, believe that he is, that he created all things, both in heaven and in earth. And my goodness, if he hung the moon, that means he can change your heart, mm. you know, and, and believe that he has all wisdom and power in heaven and earth. And, and that you don't comprehend all the things that he's doing with you and around you. And I love that he comes back to that. And we actually left this spot. It's such a, a neat time to kind of pause because um, King Benjamin gives a list of those things that he believes in God. And they're so good. And you might want to mark them all. You'll find them in nine and 10, but it's believe in God. Believe that he is. Believe that he has all wisdom and power. Believe in the power of repentance. Believe all these things and if you believe them see that you do them and can you imagine how powerful that moment was when he just stood up and testified to that crowd of people believe in god believe that he is I, you can just feel the emotion of that and we and we did we left the spot because we thought what what do you believe what would you write down if this was your sermon? Yeah, right and now? what do you want someone else to believe about him, right? That line I love so much every time I read it um, in verse 10, ask in sincerity of heart if he would forgive you. Mm. Well, how powerful to believe in a God who is forgiving, you know? Like there, this is what he's reminding them, them of and bringing them back to, which is so cool. We're going to see right after this, this really um, awesome teaching that happens. And it's something in seminary that we look for as an if-then principle. Um, you'll see it utilized in scripture a lot. It, it'll start out with if, and then it moves into a then. Um, a simple example would be if God is real, then, and then there would be a list of all the things that happen because of that. And we watch that start in Mosiah chapter 4, verse 11. And I'm actually seeing that there's two of them. Because if you believe in God and live in that way, then you're going to start feeling and experiencing mm. these. And if, if you, you start feeling these, these then, then, yeah, so there's actually happen. two That's of so them awesome. in so here. So they're back to back. That's so good. Um, so in 11, he's going to say, 
If you have known of his goodness and have tasted of his love and have received a remission of your sins, which causes exceeding great joy in your souls, even so I would that you would remember and always retain in remembrance the greatness of God and his goodness, calling upon his name daily and standing steadfastly in the faith. So we left you a little spot right here um, that you would know his goodness, that you would taste his love, you would receive remission, you would stand steadfast, you would be filled with love. Um, if those things happen, then he's going to describe something for us. And before we go to that, I just want to tell you an experience I had that was really similar to this one that was life-changing for me. So life-changing that when I read this the next time, I was like, oh, I can see exactly what happened here. Um, many, many years ago, one of my siblings got married in the um, Timpanogos temple and the sealer for that um, ceiling was George Durant who is a man who I just love and admire and I love the way he teaches and when the ceiling was over he sat them down on the couch and then he said to them he described what their life was about to be like and it started like this when you walk out of the temple today he was looking at the husband you will open the door for your wife to walk out and greet all the people because that is what type of man that you are. And then he walked through that whole day and then you will do this, you'll go to a reception, you will introduce all your friends to your wife because that is what type of man that you are. And you'll go on your honeymoon and when you come home, he looked at the wife and said, you will cook a dinner for your husband every day when he gets home from work because that's what kind of woman you are. And he talked about how she would have apple pie waiting for him because it was his favorite dessert, which who even knew if it was, but you just love the image of, and then there will be apple pie after. And you will raise your kids and on the days when everyone's been sick and she's changed so many diapers and the house is a mess, he said to the husband, you will clean up dinner because that is what kind of man you are. And one day the bishop will come to your house and he will extend you both callings and you will say yes, because that is what type of people you are. And he described their entire life. He painted the vision of who they were going to become. And as I sat there and watched, I looked at him and I was like, yes, that is exactly who you are going to become. I see it in you. I could see how that would happen. And I remember walking out of that ceiling and thinking to myself, I'm going to be a better wife because that is what kind of person I am. And, and I thought to myself, I wish I had that written down. If anyone knows George Durant or has the, or has that ceiling written down, email it to me because it is seriously one of the best days of my life was watching him go through that moment and just painting a vision of what they were going to become. And it was so beautiful and so real that in your mind, you were like, yes, of course, that is who you will be. And it's so interesting because it happens here mm. in Mosiah. Because he says this, he comes out and he says, if you'll do this and this and this, all of these things, then he says this, um, and you will always rejoice and you will grow in the knowledge of the glory of him and you will not have a mind to injure each other and you will not suffer that your children would go hungry um, or that they would suffer um, that they transgress the laws of God and you will teach them to walk in the ways of truth and soberness and you will teach them to love one another and you yourselves will sucker people and you love that he's just standing there and he's like, let me describe 
what your life is about to look like. Let me describe who you are going to become. And it is so beautiful and so empowering. And I'm mm. sure they all sat there just like we did on that day when that ceiling took place. And they listened to him describe who they had the potential to become. And, and I think every one of them was like, yes, that is what I want. That is who I want to be is this person that he is um, describing. And I, I love how empowering that probably was for them and can be for us. Yeah, and I think it's really neat. The connection between the story you just told and what's happening here is, remember the beginning of this sermon started with everybody offering sacrifice on an altar back in chapter three. Um, and they're there at that that place of sacrifice that represents him. And that's what happens in a ceiling, like a, a, a new family, a new kingdom that begins. It begins at an altar that represents the sacrifice mm. and love of Christ. And that's why that's going to be the motivation. And it's going to be the means for it to even happen is the only reason you can paint a picture of becoming someone royal is because of where it begins it mm. begins at that place of jesus of of his sacrifice of him laying down his life and then from here we can move out it's just so neat he just keeps saying like and this is what happens once you have known of his goodness and tasted of his love then this is what naturally starts unfolding in people's lives and again he reminds us we're all beggars right we're all beggars we're all like Yes. feeling short and feeling something that we need but he you know? also is like but this is your potential right. and you love that in chapter five he starts out and he looks at all the people and i promise you if george durant had looked at me right in that moment it was like do you believe this can happen my answer would have been yes yeah you have described it so well i think that can happen and that is who i want to be and that same thing happens um because um, he, King Benjamin, after he had spoken, he desired to know of his people if they believed the words that he had spoken to them, if they believed that they could actually become what he had described. And they all cried with one voice saying, yes, we believe um, because the spirit of the Lord omnipotent has wrought a mighty change in us. And we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. And then we love this in verse three of chapter five, um, because of the manifestations of his spirit, we have great views of that which is to come. And I just, I love the thought of that, of that great view of potential, of the path of conversion, of the who we can become in God's plan. And, and you go back to Sister McKay, and you go back to Q Elaine Dalton, and you just think, we we are watch people we are watching people on this covenant path mm -hmm. who are becoming and we look at them and we respect um where they are which gives us hope to think maybe i can do that yeah. even though this is where i am maybe i can do that and we feel that divine discontent but instead of um keeping us back it actually grows in us and allows us to become. Yeah, because there is a solution. You and don't have see to that see that great right. view. And it's neat that it's like they look back and forward at the same time. It's mm. like he's asking, Do you believe this? And they think for a second, they're like, Yeah, because I've seen him moving and changing me. And I also have this eye of faith. I see a great view of what is 
ahead mm. and also like that I'm okay where I am on this journey. Like it's a yeah. God member who was patient and kind and has all wisdom and yes, you don't comprehend everything that he's and he doing. And he comes where and, you are. Right. And it's, this is okay. Mm-hmm. You're, you're moving through this just fine. And then they want to enter into a covenant with him and receive a name and the name that they receive, they enter into that covenant in verse five, which is a, remember, this is a moment where you're like, okay, do you want to just move this from just a passive admiration of God to like a resid- like a like a back and forth mm-hmm. relationship with him? And they're like, yes. And in verse 7, he gives them a new name. And he calls them the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters, to become heirs to the throne, joint heirs with him. And it's neat that he tells them, you are born of him. Right? This is the beginning of your journey. And you are going to now grow up in in the castle, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? You're going to grow mm-hmm. up to become eventually, you know, children of God, joint heirs. But it's just neat how it's like that is the new name that he gave them. There are throughout our lives and covenant relationship times where we're given a name. That happens um, at baptism. Um, it happens in other sacred places. Um Anciently, when a king was given a name, it's because they were beginning a new, I'm a new person. And the greatest way to change, help somebody change, is to teach them their true identity, to give them a name. And that is the name that he is giving them. Imperfect as they are, he says, you are the royal children of Christ. And you love in verse 8 when he just spells it out for him. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore, I would that you should take upon you the name of Christ, all you that have entered into the covenant with God. Um, and gladly. Wouldn't you yes, do it gladly if yes. you're like, what do you want to be called? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I want to be called his. Yes. And you love that um, that reminder to take his name upon you. And it's a reminder we hear over and over again on the covenant path. Um, It's a reminder that we hear every single Sunday when we take the sacrament. And in fact, um, last year I had the uh, most interesting experience with that. We were going through some really hard things in our family, really hard. Um, In fact, I, I could feel my insights in turmoil all the time. I can remember that day going to church this was actually when we went to church in a building and sitting <laughs> in um, the pews. And as I sat down and it was supposed to be so quiet and reverent and I could just feel the storm um, brewing inside of me. And the music happened and we got to the sacrament and they were saying the sacrament prayers and I, I could feel that unrest. And as I was praying over everything that was going on in our home and they finished that sacrament prayer, I felt the spirit whisper to me, which name? And I was like, what? What does that even have to do with anything? And the spirit whispered again, which name will you take? And I remembered we had just had the sacrament prayer and we were told to take my name upon you. And then I was thinking, well, what does that mean? Which name will I, will I take? And it made me think of turning to the Bible dictionary. So I did the names of Christ in the Bible dictionary. And I started looking at all of those names And a lot of those names are familiar to us. They would be names that you would just know. There's Redeemer and Savior and Shepherd and Lord of All and all of these names. But there was one name that stood out and it was Shiloh. It's a name I haven't ever really noticed before or put in relation with Jesus Christ. And so I looked in it and it's 
um, comes from the Old Testament. And the word Shiloh is a Hebrew word or name. And one of the things it can mean is peace or tranquility. And as I thought about that, I was like, that is exactly what I need this week. That is the name I need to take with me as I leave. I'm going to take that name, Shiloh. And so I did. I left church that day and all week that week, every time I would feel that storm raging inside of me, the unanswered prayers, the questions that how are we going to get out of this? Every time the tears would start to fall, I would just whisper that name, Shiloh. And I would remember he could bring peace and he could bring that tranquility in the midst of that storm. And it was a sweet week for me because that was the name. And it's become a tradition I do now often during the sacrament. I will turn to the Bible dictionary and start scrolling through those names and just think to myself, which name will I take this week? Who do I need Christ to be in my life this week? And as we learn to recognize him by those different names, and we just talked about this, when we spoke to the missionaries in that missionary conference, Mm. um, we talked about sometimes as we come to know and understand the attributes of Jesus Christ and the Father, it helps us to understand them better and we grow in relationship with them. And so we, we love that application of taking his name, of really like thinking about what, what does that look like for you this week? Um, How will we respond to that invitation to take his name? And sometimes we read about taking his name in vain. And we sometimes think, well, that means we shouldn't swear. But sometimes when I read that, I think, or is he saying, if you take my name, I actually need you to do something with it. I need you to be my witness. I need you to be on my errand. I need you to be in relationship with me. I need you to walk the covenant path. I need you to be in this process of conversion. That is part of the privilege that comes with taking his name. Is that? Yeah. And I just think it again, as you were telling that story, how needed it is again, once more, that that process every week during the sacrament begins at an altar again, Mm -hmm. right? It's that same thing. And what we hope this week, maybe particularly in sacrament, whether it's back in our churches at an altar or whether it's a kitchen table turned a holy altar, that we'll think about this. You're participating in a coronation ceremony Mm. and you're being promised and given hope. If you don't feel hope, then we didn't preach this very right. So go back and let him (laughs) preach it to you because it should. And verse 12, I love this. He says, I say unto you, I would, and this is our prayer too, that you should remember to retain the name written always in your hearts. That you'll sit there and think, God, write your name in my heart and let me be found on your right hand. And and I, I want you to call me by that name. And I want it to be fitting. And, and like you were saying, 13, I, I want you to be my master. I want to follow in your ways. I want to live as as you would live and, and just experience and, and be all a part of this whole thing. And that is the beauty. That's what we hope it's that so will happen. It's so true. And when he talks about that you will hear and know the voice by which he shall be called and also the name by which he shall call you. And we come to hear and know his voice as we enter into relationship with him. And yeah. Oh, it's good. It's a good lesson. So good. Good reminder. All right, y'all. See you See next, next week. week. 
This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.